The sermon today comes from Luke 14, 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began making excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Last night, uh, Jen and I had the chance to go to a wedding. I think some of you might have been here. I know I saw a couple of familiar faces in the crowd. Uh, and you know, we, um, we ate some really good food. You know one of those weddings where you eat more during the appetizers than you do in the actual banquet? And then we hung out with good friends, we danced, we did the Cupid Shuffle. Y'all know the Cupid Shuffle? We learned a new one, it's called the Church Clap. All the navigators who might be here, I think they know it, but we're gonna learn it afterwards. But as we were there, it made me start thinking about those moments when you get an invitation to a wedding. You know a huge wedding is coming, someone in the community is getting married, and then it shows up in the mail. And you're thrilled that you got the invitation, and then the first thing you do is you crack it open, and you look for the date, and you wonder, am I gonna be able to make it, right? Am I gonna be in town that weekend, or is something else gonna be going on? See, as we come to the parable of the great banquet this morning, we come to a story about feasts, about weddings, and specifically about an invitation. See, as we, over the last several weeks, we've been looking through the parables of Jesus, going through the book of Luke, and as we get to Luke 14, Jesus has been on that great death march. He's been going from Galilee, which is up in the upper left if you're looking at the map, and headed down to Jerusalem. And he knows that he's headed there to die, and as he dies, he's gonna accomplish the rescue of his people. But the thing that he does is interesting as he goes. He goes village to village, town to town, and he announces that the kingdom is at hand. And then as he announces the kingdom is at hand, he calls people to come. He, you get the sense that Jesus is walking city to city, town to town, as he goes to Jerusalem, handing out invitations. So as we come to Luke 14, we really come to a question about invitations. See, Jesus rolls into this little Jewish town on a Saturday morning, he goes to the synagogue, he preaches, he announces the kingdom is there, invites everybody to the wedding, to the party. And then right afterwards, the ruler of the Pharisees invites him over to dinner. But see, they're not really interested in Jesus. They're interested in trapping him. But Jesus goes anyways, and he shows up, and as he does, he goes and he sits next to the host. The other guests start rolling in, and Jesus leans to him and starts talking about who should and shouldn't be invited to things like this. And just then, one of the Pharisees, one of those invited, breaks out into a toast. It's almost like there's this awkward tension about guest list that's gotta get broken, and what does he say? He says, 
Blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. See, this man defines blessedness as those who will taste the banquet, those who will eat the bread in the kingdom. So as we come to Luke 14, that's what we're actually gonna look at this morning. We're gonna answer the question, who will taste the banquet of Jesus? And we're gonna do that by taking a look at three things. First, we're gonna take a look at the invitation. Second, we're gonna take a look at what keeps people from responding or to accepting it. And then third, we're gonna take a look at those who uh, actually do accept it. So if you have uh, your order of worship with you, there's some sermon notes in there. The text is at the top. We just read it, but feel free to follow along. So uh, Jesus responds to this man. We're first gonna take a look at the nature of the invitation. So Jesus responds to this man by telling a parable, and he begins the parable by saying, a man threw a great banquet. See, in other words, Jesus says the kingdom's like a party, but not just any party. See, that word great is the Greek word megas. It's where we get our word mega. In other words, Jesus is saying the kingdom is like a master who threw a, not just party, a huge party, a gigantic party. I, uh, I stumbled on an article this week that kind of made the point for me. It's the top three most expensive weddings of all time. First, number three, Charles and Diana. Y'all know them, the, the Prince of England and that beautiful young woman who Elton John wrote a song about. Um, $115 million. Six million people showed up in the street to watch it. 750 million watched it on television. My favorite couple of stats, $800,000 were spent just on flowers. And my favorite, 27 wedding cakes. The biggest of which was about my size, almost six feet. Took 14 weeks to prepare. I mean, that's a, that's a party. But number two, the Roy family. The Roy family is the most expensive wedding in the history of India. $126 million. Y'all ever been to a plated dinner before? 110 course. I didn't stutter. 110 course. So this takes days, weeks. Course, plated dinner for 11,000 people. That's a part. But the biggest, Sheikh Mahmoud, he's the ruler of Dubai. $136 million. The, the wedding, not the ceremony, but the, the celebration took a week. This man went uh, village to village over the course of five days and brought in a banquet and personally fed everybody who was in and around Dubai. And then finally, they come to the day of the ceremony and so many people come, they had had to build a separate stadium to hold all the people. I mean, that's a party, right? See, what Jesus is talking about here is not just a party, not just, I had y'all over for a cookout. He's talking about a feast. He's talking about a huge party. But the thing Jesus has in mind isn't the wedding of the Prince of England or the ruler of Dubai, He's talking about the wedding of the king of heaven. See, when Jesus would have launched into this parable to the Pharisees, they would have had in mind the great messianic banquet. They, they had in mind that the Lord was gonna come back through a Christ and that that Christ would celebrate the kingdom and that all of those people who were righteous and good and upstanding, you know, the elite Pharisees that were there, they'd be there and they would, they would taste it. 
But see, what's crazy about Jesus's invitation is we know from the rest of the scriptures that we don't get invited as an attendant. We get invited as the bride. Imagine being the bride at the wedding of the king of heaven. You think about what Diana experienced. Imagine what that's like. And so it begs the question, why is that so extravagant? What is it that's extravagant about being the bride of heaven? Well, you and me were broken people living in a broken world. We have deep down in us uh, this desire to be known, a desire to be secure, a desire to feel like we have control. But see, in our separation from God, we take those deep desires that we can't get rid of and we run to other things. We run after them, trying to get them satisfied, trying to get them filled, and nothing does. And so we work and we try harder and we work some more and we try harder and then we get sad. And so we work and we try and we get sad and then that leads to depression and despair and then we work some more. See, what's crazy about Jesus's invitation is we understand that our hearts were made by Jesus for Jesus. The word says that we were made by him, for him, and through him. So in other words, your, your heart was made by Jesus. And then those deep, deep, deep affections, I don't mean your like sadness that the Gators blew the game last night. I mean your really deep part of where that comes from, your desire to belong, your desire to be part of something. Those were put there by Jesus, not to be satisfied in something else, but to be satisfied in him. He literally put them there to wed you to him, to drive you back to him. If, if y'all have one of these, you know what that's about. It's, uh, my iPhone cannot run forever. It's not designed to exist entirely on its own, but here's the deal. I can't just go plug it in. If you have a Samsung Galaxy, I can't just go plug it in to your charger. You would think I could. It would make sense that it should be able to go from there to my phone, but it can't. And the reason is this little port, the heart of the phone, it's designed for a very specific charger. See, we're like that. Our hearts are designed for Jesus. They're intended to draw us back to himself. And so when Jesus invites us to the banquet as the bride and he himself is the feast, it's incredible to know the thing that our heart has been longing for is finally at hand. Listen to how Jesus describes it in other places. If you've been doing the community Bible reading, you'll, you'll recognize these. John 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then probably one of our favorites is a busy, hardworking church, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So you're probably wondering, like I was, why does all this matter? Why does the extravagance of Jesus's offer matter? Well, see, the way that we view the invitation, it affects the way we respond to it. Right? If I invite you over to my house to barbecue and something pops up, you may or may not come. 
But if the king of England invites you to his house for a wedding, you go, right? So the gravity, the, the scale or the intensity, the extravagance of the invitation affects whether you respond. So I just wanna ask you a question. How do you view the invitation of Jesus? Is he just a good teacher? Is he a good example? Or is he the one your hearts are made for? Man, let me talk to you for a second. Is Jesus just a doorway to heaven? Or is he the one that affirms your heart, gives you your affirmation when your boss doesn't? Moms, is Jesus just a cover for sin? Or when you're wrestling with the failure of your kids, the difficulty of being a loving mom, is he the good shepherd? You see in him the one who loves your kids more than you do, who loves you more than you do, and who loves you not for what you have or haven't done, but just because he loves you. See, the, Jesus, what he's saying here is when he says a man through a great banquet, he's talking about himself, and he's saying that this thing's extravagant. It's incredible. It's, it's life itself. And so he doesn't stop there. He goes on to describe the invitation in two more ways. He says, uh, my words, it's broad and it's gracious. You'll pick it up in the parable. It says, um, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. See that word, it invited many, it means that the banquet wasn't just extravagant, but it was huge. There was room for people. And the sense of what Jesus is saying is that there's room for you. There's room for me. There's room for us. He had just walked out of a synagogue and he's saying there's, there's room for people. It's not just for an elite few. And then he goes on when he describes the invitation that the servant gives to say, come for everything is now ready. He's saying that it's gracious. He's saying that while the wedding is extravagant, the feast is extravagant and there's room for a lot of you, it's also paid for. You can't bring anything to this one. I think y'all know this. The, um, it's Saturday. You get a text from a friend and it says, hey, two weeks from now, we're gonna have a party for Johnny. We'd love it if you can be there. And you go, great, I would love to be there. What can I bring? And they write back, just yourself. See, that's the sense of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the kingdom is like a huge party that there's space for you and for me but it's paid for. You don't bring anything to it. You, you only bring yourself. It's just yourself. So again, it's uh, important to remember that the way we view the invitation affects the way we respond to it. So if we see it as extravagant and there's space for us and it's paid for, then we drop everything and we run to it. But if we view it as small, then we run to other things for life. And when the call to come comes around and it's inconvenient, we don't go. Or if we view it as narrow instead of broad, then we either feel unworthy, like we don't belong, can't come, or we feel like we are worthy and we exclude other people, right? We're either the Pharisees who see it as a lead or we're the outside the city and we don't belong there. If we don't see it as paid for, then it feels heavy. It feels costly and burdened. And so we work and we work and 
we get depressed and we work some more and we ultimately just realize, I, I would love to go, but I'm probably never gonna be able to. See, Jesus is saying that the kingdom is an invitation to an extravagant banquet that you're invited to, we're invited to, and it's paid for. But you're not just invited as an attendant, you're invited as the bride. And Jesus is the banquet. So let's move on to the second point. What, what is it that would keep people from responding to this invitation? See, by now, the, the, the Pharisees sitting there would have been amening. It was a Presbyterian synagogue. Jesus was faithfully and accurately exegeting what the banquet was like. He was faithfully describing what this huge end of times party was gonna be like. But then this weird turn happens. He says, not everyone who's invited is gonna come. And then he goes on to say, those who are invited are probably gonna surprise you. And so embedded in the story Jesus uses two little words inside the invitation to give us a window into what keeps people from coming. If you look down at your Bibles in verse, uh, let's see, second half of verse 17, it says, come, for everything is now ready. The two little words that Jesus uses are come and now. See, the word come, it, it has embedded in it this idea of Leaving. It, it says, hey, you, what you're doing right now, the thing that you're doing, leave it and make your way towards me and what I prepared for you. Y'all know this. Come has the, the sense of um, something's already going on. You're in the middle of stuff. It's, it's the opposite of the word stay. It means go. It means go with purpose. Leave this thing behind and go with purpose. And then the second word now, well, it means now. It doesn't mean five minutes from now. Didn't mean two days ago. Doesn't mean maybe tomorrow. It means right now. And so what Jesus, as he transitions into why people make excuses, what is it that keeps him from coming? He sets it up with an invitation that says that the kingdom is like a place that you come when you're called. You come when you're called. Y'all would probably know this if you grew up in the South. I, um, I used to go to my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving every year. We'd hop in the car, we'd drive an hour down to her place. She'd already been up all night the night before cooking. We'd roll in and man, she would fix a spread. It would be turkey, ham, fried chicken, beets if you're into that sort of thing, collard greens, cornbread, and brownies. Same thing every year. We knew what it was. But here's the deal. The kids weren't allowed in the kitchen. We didn't get to help prepare the meal. That, that wasn't our deal. What our deal was is we went outside and we played and we exhausted ourselves. And then when everything was ready, Graham would say, come. She'd say, time for dinner, time to eat. And the deal was we would come when we were called. So we grew up coming when we were called. That's what Jesus is alluding to here. So let's, let's take a look at two things that keep people from coming when they're called. The first one you'll notice in the excuses is preoccupation. In other words, it's trouble with the word now, right? So the first two excuses, 
The first man, he buys a field, and then he says, I gotta go see it. And then the second man, he buys five yoke of oxen, and he says, I gotta inspect them. See, he loved the master. He wanted, both of those men wanted to be there with the master. That, that wasn't the issue. It was something that popped up. Yesterday, the banquet would have been great. Tomorrow would be awesome. Right now, I'm fixing to go see this field. It's urgent. I have to be there. And so what Jesus is saying here is, as he describes the heart of men, the first main thing that keeps us from responding to him is just preoccupation. In other words, it's not an issue with the word come, it's an issue with the word now. It's an issue with urgency and the tyranny of the urgent. And it's funny, Jesus doesn't even evaluate the thing, whether it's good or bad. You get the sense that the, in the parable that the master didn't care whether they bought a field or not. He expected that if the field got in the way of the banquet, that you would leave the field behind, right? Same thing with the oxen. It, Great, one of my friends is gonna be a small business owner. But if the oxen got in the way of the banquet, he expected that the oxen could wait. What's interesting is the, uh, the third excuse. It's, it's not like the first two. If you pay real close attention, it's, it's different. The first two men, they say, I, I gotta go. They, they, there's this thing they gotta go be. You get the sense of like frenzy and something is urgent. But the third man, he just says, can't come. Can't come. It's interesting to know why he says, I just got married. See, this other thing that he loved more than the master had come up. And it wasn't a question about today or tomorrow or yesterday. It was just an issue of this other thing that I love more than you keeps me from being able to come to you. So in other words, it's an issue with the word come. It's an issue with the word leaving something behind to go, right? So you see, as Jesus starts unpacking the story, he says, this thing's extravagant. The invitation is incredible, but not everyone's gonna come because we have preoccupied lives and frankly, we love other things. So I just wanna ask you a couple of questions. What has you preoccupied? What keeps you from coming to Jesus? Men, is, uh, is your career, and I know, I mean, I'm saying this as someone who knows this. Is your career and your job and your responsibilities, all the good things that you carry on your shoulders in your life, are they so important? Do they have your life so consumed that you don't have space for community? that it's hard to just find time to be with other men who love Jesus? Is it maybe hard to lead your family in the way that you wanna lead them and feel like you're called to lead them? Moms, I'll talk to you for a second. Does your obligations with your family keep you so busy running from one thing to the next, from this to that, that you literally just don't even have time to breathe? Something pops up and we have another friend to respond to and another thing for a child to go to. And we just can't even make space in our lives to pray, to breathe, to just rest in Jesus. Singles, I don't wanna leave you out. 
Is your desire to get your life started burning so intensely, whether that's a job or a family or whatever it is, that it keeps you from being able to learn what Jesus is teaching you right now, to walk you through the things that he's, he's teaching you? So I wanna be uh, super, super careful right now because I'm looking out at a congregation, a group of hardworking, Jesus-loving, God-fearing friends. Like, I know you guys. I know your hearts. And the very last thing I would want you to hear right now is work harder. Be more efficient. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not at all saying that. What I'd want you to hear is that if you're struggling with those things, if you're struggling with preoccupation, meaning just life is so crazy that you feel like you've got these things that you have to get to and you can't make time for Jesus, or you're struggling with this thing that's so important in my life, I just don't have space. It's not time, it's just space. Don't work at it. Do not become more efficient. Will you just go to Jesus? I seriously mean that. Run to Jesus. Be honest with him about how difficult it is and ask him to create in you a deep affection for how extravagant the banquet is. Ask him to create in you such a desire for him and for his banquet and for being his bride that it's okay to leave these other things behind. Let him comfort you with his presence, with his, with his grace. Let's say it again. Do not hear this as work harder, be more efficient. Here it is, if you're struggling with these things, run to Jesus. All right, so let's take a look at the third point. If we've already been talking about how the banquet is extravagant, that Jesus is inviting us to be his bride, that all the deep affections of our heart are being satisfied in him, and yet our busyness keeps us from being able to come to him. It doesn't help us, it keeps us then let's take a look at what's true about the people who actually do respond. See, you'll notice Jesus doesn't uh, leave the parable hanging at all these people didn't show up. He didn't leave it at some commentary about the heart of religious people. He goes on uh, to describe some people who do come. And before he does it, something you'll notice, he describes something about the master's heart. If you look down uh, into verse, let's see, it's at the end of verse 23, it says, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. See, Jesus says that the master longs to celebrate. He's not just looking for people who will or won't come, that there's this checklist and you're in the elite or not in the elite. He wants to celebrate. He wants to have people taste the thing that he's provided for them. He He's looking for people who will respond. And then the second thing that you'll see is the master has a heart that's bent towards needy people. See, he says, as he turns to the servant, he says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then he says, go out to the highways and the hedges Those are people who lived outside the city. They weren't even allowed inside the city. And he says, compel them to come in. 
See, what Jesus is saying here is that while our busyness keeps us from going, his heart is for needy people. See, the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, they'd have dropped everything to go to the feast. They were people who were probably beggars. They were probably sitting on the side of the street, literally just trying to make it day to day, trying to make it from today to the next day. But it wasn't that they didn't have busy lives. It wasn't that trying to figure out where they were gonna get bread from didn't keep them occupied. It was they had a clear, deep sense of their neediness. And out of their neediness, they were able to see the sufficiency of the master. They realized that the exact thing that they needed, which was bread and fellowship and food and to belong somewhere, was exactly what the master was offering in the banquet. And so you see their neediness, it enables them to run to Jesus. It enables them to run to the master. So why is this good news? Well, it means we can be super honest about our neediness. It means you don't have to cover it up. It means you don't have to put on a face. It means you don't have to get it cleaned up and then come to Jesus. It says that while our busyness keeps us from him, our neediness drives us to him. You remember we were talking earlier about uh, how our hearts were made for Jesus that those deep affections that are deep down in there, they were put there to drive us to him? Well, sometimes we go through things that are hard. We have aches, and the temptation is to work our way through it, but those aches, those hard things, they're not Jesus abandoning us. They're not him saying, this is messy, clean it up, and then I'll come back. That's Jesus deep down in your heart saying, come now. Right in the midst of this thing that's hard, come to me, bring it to me, because everything's ready. Everything that you would need to satisfy your desire is, is present in me, and I'm offering it to you. You guys probably know this, but uh, Jen and I went through about four years of infertility. About two years into it, uh, we conceived on our own, didn't have any help, and then we lost the first baby. And now we've had Caleb, and on this side of it, we've been going through some infertility again. But what, what's been interesting is, as we were going through it, this deep desire for kids began to well up in us. And every month, I mean, 50 months in a row, every month, we had this desire to have a child, and it would come up, and then it would go down, and then it would come up, and it would go down. And we would, we would try things. We would go to doctors, we would take pills, we would get shots, we would do tests, we would count days. I mean, we, if you've been through infertility, you know what this is like. It's a, it's a thing. And every time we would try and every time it wouldn't work, we would feel depressed and sad and it would get heavy. And then about three years into it, Jesus shows up one day and he reminds us that that deep desire for family, sorry, I just looked at my bride. Uh, that deep desire for family, it was created for him. That the desire for us to have children comes from his heart that loves his children. 
And then just then in that moment, we realized that that satisfaction, that thing that we wanted, even if we had Caleb, it wasn't gonna be satisfied. It was made for him. And the way my bride describes it, <laughs> I can't look over there, sorry. Uh, is it was the day Jesus said that he was better than life. He was better than the life of a, of a child or better than whatever it is that we believe that we found life in. See, what Jesus is saying here is that our neediness drives us to him. So needy people are the ones who come to him, not busy people. So just ask you a couple questions. What do you do with your neediness? Where do you go with it? Your desire for life, do you turn to other things or are you able to run to Jesus? I'll uh, give you a couple specifics. Men, when something's tough going on at work or you're having a hard time serving your bride and you're fighting and things are tense, do you just cover it up, bottle it up, act like it doesn't exist? I know this might sound fuzzy, but are you able to run to Jesus and cry about it? Come to him with your neediness. Moms, when things are hard with the kids, do you just put on a smile? Act like everything's fine? Are you able to run to Jesus? Again, are you able to turn to the good shepherd, the one who loves your kids more than you do and who loves you in the same and better way that you love your kids? and is leading you through it. See, what Jesus is saying is that it's not the busy that come to the kingdom, it's the needy. It's the ones that can be honest about where they are and those things drive them to Jesus. All right. Jesus doesn't stop there. He says one more thing about those who come. If you look uh, in your Bibles with me, you'll see that in verse, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have this pulled out, but, Verse 21, it says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. See, here's the thing. Needy people, they don't just come to Jesus on their own. The poor, the blind, the lame, the beggar, the people living outside the city, they lived outside the city because they didn't belong in the city. They wouldn't have just shown up at the master's banquet. What happened is a servant had to be sent to go. And when it says go, it means invite them. T take the invitation to them and invite them. And then what's interesting about the word bring in is it actually means help. It, it means put your arm around them. You know, when someone gets hurt on a football field and they get carried off, sometimes they get carted off, but sometimes a brother just comes out, puts his arm around them and helps them walk off the field. Then compel, when he says, compel them to come in, sometimes you read that as like, make them come in. But what he's saying here is spare no expense. I don't, I do not care what it costs me or you to bring them in. Whatever it costs, it's worth it. See, it's really interesting here that what Jesus says is that needy people come when they're invited. The needy people come when they're helped. When people, needy people come when 
someone else spends cost to bring them in. See, Romans 9 puts it this way. It's, sorry, Romans 10. It says, uh, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are needy people to come to a banquet they've never been invited to? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to get invited unless someone invites them? How are they to preach unless they're sent? Needy people come to the banquet when they get invited, when someone goes to bring the invitation and then helps them come along. But by now it's raising the question, who is it that goes? In this parable, who is the servant? Well, in the kingdom, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that it's you and it's me. Puts it this way. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if anyone has come already as a needy person to the banquet, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. It says, all this is from God. It's not from the old person who's made himself new. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ was reconciling us to himself. And then here's the word, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. See, what 2 Corinthians 5 is saying is that needy people, they get invited and they come into the banquet first to be satisfied, but then as they're satisfied, they're sent right back out to be the ones who invite other needy people. Right, see, it's needy people that are sent out to go tell other needy people that there's a banquet you can go eat at, and then those are the ones that put their arm around other needy people and help them come in. See, the blind, they wouldn't have been able to feel their way to the banquet. The poor, they might not have had clothes to wear. The lame and the crippled literally would not have been able to walk to the banquet. Someone would have had to help them. And then going out to the highways, to the hedges people, to the people who live out in the, in the wilderness, it costs something. So he said, I don't care what it costs, go out there. So this, past, I know we're running a little long, but this past weekend, we just had the vision banquet, right? Most of y'all were there, and you probably heard that in, the, in a 10-year in a window, our deep desire for the city of Jacksonville is to plant gospel-centered community, another fancy word for community groups, inside every neighborhood in Jacksonville, and that we desire to see churches planted in every borough of the city. So it raises the question, why? We're not trying to build Christ Church East. It's not at all about making this place bigger or about making our finances easier. It's, if you remember, it's because we want to see the renewal of Jacksonville. And see, community is a place where needy people can come and be honest about being needy. 
And community is a place where other needy people can be invited to be with needy people. But our strategy is in community. It's gospel-centered community. The gospel is then when those needy, deep, deep places in our heart meet Jesus. That the invitation of Jesus satisfies those hearts and makes them new. And so we want to see churches planted in every borough and groups planted in every neighborhood because when these little communities of needy people move in to neighborhoods and their neighbors are invited into these communities, they can be honest about their needs. And then they can meet the same Jesus that met the needs of the people that were first in the group. It's not so much a strategy as it is the way that the invitation flows. And then ultimately, as those communities form, we need space for them to have identity and have corporate worship. See, Jesus is saying to the city of Jacksonville, come now. Come right now, because everything is ready. But he's saying to us, the church, he's saying, go. Bring them in, help them come in, compel them to come in. There is nothing that it will cost you that's not worth it. There's nothing it'll cost you that doesn't make space for it, that's not covered. So I just want to close by asking you about two things. The first one is, what do you do with your neediness? Those deep desires for life, where do you go with them? Do you run to other things? Or are you able to run to Jesus and have them be satisfied in him? And then the second is just a really practical one. And I know I lead our community groups. Are y'all in a community group? Are you engaged in a community group? And is that group praying for your neighbors? And is your own neediness welling up in you empathy for your own neighbors? And is that empathy for your neighbors driving you to go get to know them and then give them the invitation of Jesus? See, Jesus in the parable of the great banquet, he says that the wedding, the feast is extravagant. There's space for you. It's paid for. It says the invitation is as needy people to come be the bride of the king of heaven and that Jesus himself is the feast. But then he also says to the city of Jacksonville to apply it to us today, he says, come now because it's ready. Everything is ready. And then he says to you, church, go quickly. Bring them in. Compel them to come in. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the master of the great banquet, that you are the one who has invited us to yourself, that you yourself are the feast, and that in you our hearts are made new. And Jesus, we worship you as the one who's making all things new. And Lord, we're grateful that we who are needy are able to participate with you, that you send us back out to be the inviters, that we get to be present when needy people hear the invitation. And so we pray you'd do that with us, that you would make us a church that loves your city, that you'd make us a church that loves Jacksonville, and that you would, one, fill up our own lives with yourself so that it flows out into the hearts of the people of Jacksonville 
And we pray these things, Jesus, because we know that you're coming back and we long for the day that you return. Amen.